We don't play the social game. We are social. Power 98.5. Hi, this is Dan Aykroyd. He's progressive. He's beautiful. He's thoughtful. He's intelligent. He's powerful. He's positive. He is Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. Empowering listeners from the U.S. to the U.K. Live on air with Stephen Cuoco. I hope you all had a great, great Halloween. I did not dress up. However, I went to one of the most incredible, incredible, intimate socials. It wasn't even a party. It was a social. My friend David Tupaz, I spoke to him two days ago, was it? <laughs> and I told him, I said, I'm going to talk about you when I go live because we've got Alan Rich with us today. I know a lot of you have been excited and looking forward to this one. Uh, Alan Rich, he's a two-time Oscar, Grammy, Golden Globe, and Emmy-nominated songwriter. Uh, his first hit song was Natalie Cole's Top 10 Pop Hit Ballad, I Live For Your Love. Uh, the next year, he co-wrote with writer and partner Judd Friedman, um, James' number one pop and number one adult contemporary song, I Don't Have a Heart. You also all know him by uh, the Whitney Houston song from the film Bodyguard, Run to You. Uh, I'm so grateful and thankful to David Tupaz for it came up in conversation. We were talking about the industry and film and television and, and where things are happening and going in our industry. And um, he told me about a wonderful lunch he had uh, with Alan and asked me if I knew him or knew about him or anything. And I'm going to be honest. And I told Alan, I said, no. So when I got home that night, I took a shower and made some tea and I thought, all right, let me find out who is Alan Rich. And I just was going through, I was like, okay, uh, amazing, amazing, brilliant, amazing. I mean, I'm just going down the list, going through the interviews and was very surprised that I have not, it's, you know, being in the industry for over 30 years, I have not met Alan, looking forward to meeting him uh, one day very soon for some cocktails, lunch, good conversation. But I, you know, once again, big shout out to my friend David Tupaz. He's an incredible designer. He lives in Vegas. He's also in LA. He's he's all over the place. He's worked with the best of the best of the best. And you never know when you just have a conversation, how a conversation with a little bit or a lot of effort. Something can happen, and now here I am, uh, very grateful, reaching out or have reached out to Alan, and now he is going to be or is a guest here on Live on Air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. If you have any questions or comments for David or want to share your love, thoughts, any shout-outs, whether it be on the app, the iOS or Android app, or power985.com, click the bottom right-hand icon and send us your message. It's going to be a big month. I've got my good friend Miguel Suazo. He's got a fight coming up on November 12th here in Vegas uh, with Tough Enough. Uh, what else? We've got a professional fight that was pushed back uh, Brandon Figueroa, that's now moved to December, but that's going to be in Texas. BravoCon is happening this week. 
I've got the opportunity and excited to be speaking with and uh, hopefully work with um, uh, Frank, Frank uh, Catania. Uh, he's from the Real Housewives of New Jersey. And what a great guy. I, I, I put in for my press media pass a request in for I uh, wasn't too sure whether it was going to be here or in New York or where they were going to have it this year. I did not get it in in enough time, hopefully next year. But if I've got to walk over to Caesars, I'll do it. I think what I'm going to do, I don't know if I'm going to do it today or maybe I'll do it Saturday, but I'm sure I'm going to bump into, into one or many of them. Uh, but once again, BravoCon is happening, I believe, the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And then Frank goes home on Monday, and then he and I are having a conversation on Tuesday. Alan. Yes. Wow. I've been patiently waiting. I'm trying to interrupt you. (laughs) You did a great job. Well, it's all about you. No, no, no. I want to say hello to David. Thank you for introducing me um, via, uh, I guess it was email or phone to, um, to Stephen. And I do look forward to meeting you as well. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I mean, it's it's great to where, you know, as long as you and I have been in this business and, and you know I handle the PR, the media side of it, you're in the, the songwriting side of it. I'm loving what you're doing. And what's incredible is to have this moment with you, you know, knowing we've we've been traveling never on the same road Mm-hmm. But now we're here together. I agree. And, um, you know, I always feel like people are brought into your life for a reason. And it's not always the reason you think it is. But I'm glad my name was mentioned in a conversation with you and David. And, yes, we did have a lovely, fun lunch. You know, he's, a, he's such a fun, talented guy. And uh, he has a friend, Martino, who is my friend. And so we all had lunch together. And then um, David and I had a a lunch of our own. So, um, and, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very happy and feel lucky that he brought us together. I am as well. And what's incredible is that I believe I told you, but I know I said this to David, I met David eight years ago at an event, uh, through Jose Barula. He's a photographer, mutual photographer, friend, David shared some kind, loving, insightful words. I felt God speaking through him. And I remember I started, it, it impacted me. I felt it heavily in my chest, Alan. And I started to to tear up and cry a bit. And I know I was like purging something that was happening. I was in a huge transition. Eight years later, David invites me to his home. And then all of this happens. Well, maybe one day I'll be lucky enough to get invited to his home too. Oh, I hope you are too. <laughs> I haven't been to Vegas in a long time. I'm long overdue. You are. I. What is your schedule like? Well, every day is different. You know, I do a lot of different things. Of course, I've been a full-time songwriter for a very long time. But as I've gotten a bit older, it's branched out into other things. You know, I just came back. Um, I was on two cruise ships. I, I was on Crystal Cruises. I do a, a show on Crystal Cruises, a retrospective of my career. And then I actually do a songwriting class where I teach beginning songwriting to people who are on the ship. And um, and another thing that I've done on Crystal Cruises 
is I have a hit songwriting show where I bring two other hit songwriters on the ship and we tell the stories behind our hit songs and we, the songwriters, sing our songs instead of the stars. Mm -hmm. And people seem to really love it. And then on Princess Cruise Line, I was very lucky enough, Princess Cruise Line actually built a show around my career and they sent me to a script writer and they put my film clips together and um, they had the singers on the ship sings my, sing my songs. And it's so I did one Crystal Cruise and then I did a Princess Cruise and I got home on Saturday. Wow. So, and that's a fun addition to my life. I love it. And the other thing that I love, besides, you know, I'm working on a lyric now, but in between that, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, my One of my favorite seasons is Oscar season because I'm fortunate enough to be my, my greatest I, I feel like such a privilege that I'm a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in the music branch. And I get to go to all the screenings and I get to go to all the receptions and occasionally get to meet the stars of the film. So, um, and that's in full bloom. Believe me, if you, saw my, if, if you saw my calendar for the next several weeks, it's like you, I can't even read what I wrote. Mm. Are you surprised? so blessed <laughs> well you can't be surprised you know alan i mean look at what you've accomplished well you know it's it's funny i guess when you, you know when you say it like that but even when i do the shows on the ship and i see my life flashing before my eyes with the things that have happened um i say wow you know i've done okay but believe me i still would love to be continue to be relevant i would still love to have another record. I would still love to be writing with certain artists that I'm not writing with. So I still have, I still have dreams. Mm. How I get there, I'm not sure. But you know what? I've never known how I got there in my life. And somehow I just do. What I enjoyed very much, and I remember sharing this with you a couple days ago, is when I watched your interview on Quack and uh, I wrote it down. It's in the um, it's in the office in the other room. It was something along the lines, and I remember saying it to you. We were on the phone. Um, uh, you know, when you make plans, God oh, laughs. God laughs. And it's so incredible to know when speaking with you and from watching your interviews, Alan, how things you set to do, God had something completely different for you. And that, I can, that's how my life's been my entire life. Yeah. By the way, I'm so into your New Jersey accent. It just brings me home to the East Coast, but I'm just loving it. Oh, well, I, well, you still have your accent a little bit as well. I do. <laughs> I know. I, I, I proudly have my New York accent. <laughs> uh, no matter how hard I try, not that I try at all, but living in Los Angeles for as many years as I have, I have not lost my accent, I don't think. Isn't that incredible? No, you have it. How long have you been there? Oh, my God. Um, I'm afraid to say because then I'll age myself. Uh -oh. But let's let's just say <laughs> I've been in Los Angeles longer than I w lived in New York. Okay. And I was born in New York, raised, born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, moved to New York City, went to Queens College, and then um, pursued a singer-songwriter career, and then moved to Los Angeles to pursue my songwriting career. Yes, where you met, you were um, you were selling shoes, and that's when you met that producer, right? That's correct. Um, I I did what most struggling 
artists do. I had a waiter's job three or four nights a week at the Source Restaurant, which is the restaurant where Annie Hall was shot. And it was filled, I mean, really filled with up and coming major celebrities. I, I mean, Tom Cruise was there before he was famous. Uh, Charlie Sheen. Uh, I mean, I've so many people, Michael Feinstein, uh, Feinstein and, and just so many others. And I've waited on Warren Beatty. I waited on Muhammad Ali. I waited on, on Steve Martin. I've waited on so many people there. And I, I to be perfectly honest, I used to go to the kitchen and I would cry because I didn't know how I was going to get out of that job. I wanted to, I didn't want to wait on those people. I wanted to be one of them. And I didn't know how it was going to happen. And my boss, may he rest in peace, a wonderful guy named Sal said to me, Alan, you're never leaving this restaurant. And I said, like, hell, I'm not. I just don't know how I'm going to do it. But I'm telling you, I'm going to do it. And the way I ended up doing it was I had a weekend job as a shoe salesman on Venice Beach. And my friends, Rob and Susan, owned the stand. They were, Robert was a songwriter, too. His girlfriend was Australian. She had these beautiful uh, Australian Capizio shoes that she imported from Australia. And we'd sell them at Venice Beach. And if I'm telling you, when I this was early 80s, so and um, everything at Venice Beach sold for like three and four dollars, and these shoes in the in the early eighties were fifty two dollars a pair, and I would sell fifty pair on a weekend. My boss would be shocked. He just did not know how I could do that. But the reason that I could do that is because I really loved them. And then he had a rack of of crap with holes and things, clothes with holes for three or four dollars. I said I can't sell that to people because I know what I know what's going on there. But I could sell those shoes, and I, I sold a pair to a record producer who had already bought several pair. And my boss Robert said, if if he gets if he comes back for another pair, and you're there, I'll introduce you. Well, thank God I was there. He introduced me. How his name was Howie Rice, and Howie Rice um, asked if I had a tape. At that time it was cassettes. I gave him a cassette, or I sent him a cassette. I don't quite remember. But I do remember at three o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. And I was woken from a dead sleep and I was scared, you know, God forbid something was happening to my parents or some relative, you know, in the middle of the night. And I said, who is this? And he said, this is Howie Rice and I really like your songs. And I thought to myself, and this is true, I didn't say it. Couldn't you like my songs at nine o'clock in the morning rather than three o'clock? But, you know, to be perfectly honest, I was so happy that somebody liked my songs that it really made night, my night. I went back to sleep and he, and I felt like a million bucks. And he said, you know, we should write songs together sometime. Well, the reality of the situation was I never could get him on the phone again. And I was so bummed and I thought, okay, I, and this is how I've lived my life. Most of my life. I said to myself, I can just chalk it up to another flaky record producer, which there are many. Or I could somehow figure out a way to change my fate. And I decided, I've had a lot of I Love Lucy schemes in my life. And I decided that I was going to set my alarm for 3 o'clock in the morning and I was going to call him. And if he was mad at me or if I woke him from a dead sleep, I had no other, it was my last ditch attempt. And, and if I pissed him off, so, I, so be it. I set my alarm. Got out of my uh, up in in my PJs, was shaking when I called him, and what do you know? At three o'clock in the morning, I got the guy on the phone, and 
I realized that I may never ha have that happen again um, in my life, so I better do do some fancy footwork. And I somehow bamboozled my way to get out of my pajamas and uh, talk him into having me come over. And I went over at three o'clock in the morning, and I did that for several uh, nights a week for I don't remember how long. It must have been seven months a year. But the first seven months, I had three gold and platinum records. So this shoe salesman and this waiter, his life got changed in seven months. Um, of course, nobody believed me because I still kept both of my jobs. And I'd show them, I'd say when I say I wrote, oh, I wrote two songs for Patti LaBelle on her Winner and You record. And then I wrote a number one uh, R&B song for Gladys Knight. Nobody would believe me. This. They would think, well, what are you doing there at your shoe job? Well, after um, Howie said to me that he was going to probably be working with Barry Manilow, who was really my idol. He was my favorite singer-songwriter. I loved him. He always moved me. He touched me. He was, you know, but I never gave it much credence because I was still a shoe salesman and I was still a waiter. And I never thought it could happen until one day Howie Rice called me up and said, Alan, get dressed and pick me up in 20 minutes. We're going to Barry Manilow's house. I said, are you freaking kidding me? And I had my little Honda Accord and it was dirty. And I thought, oh my God, I, I wish I had had enough notice to at least clean the car. But I picked Howie Rice up. I went to Barry's house. And what do you know? I wrote three songs, Howie and Barry, the Barry's Manilow record, the one album he had on RCA. And two of the songs were singles. So you can imagine my life changed drastically um, from the time I met Howie Rice till the time I finished working with Barry Manilow. Mm. And, and I'll tell you this, everybody would say, um, um, didn't you quit your job after Patty? I said, no, I did not. Did you quit your jobs after Gladys? I said, no, I did not. But a story or two, I mean, I have some great stories with Barry, but one of them that happened, and this, you know, I could not make this up, is that Barry asked me to work with him on a Saturday and come into the recording studio with him to go over the song on Sunday. Well, my boss, Robert, he may have been my friend, but he still was a businessman. He said, Alan, you can go to work with Barry on Saturday, but if you go and take Sunday off, I'm going to fire you. So I seriously had to tell Barry Manilow that I could not go into the recording studio with him on Sunday <laughs> oh. because I work my shoe job. And I was, you know, and, and that, I mean, I had to pay my bills, but it was very embarrassing. Oh. Um, but what happened was Barry said, as long as you uh, take the lyric and slip it under Howie Rice, the producer's door, and, and he'll bring it to me, and you come to the recording studio after you're finished with your work, then we're okay. So I did bring the lyric over to, Bar uh, to Howie Rice at 6 a.m. in the morning, went to my shoe job. But I was a nervous wreck the whole time because I didn't know if Barry was going to like the lyric. I didn't know if he would know how to sing the lyrics with the melody. I, you know, I didn't. But I did get a call, get down there as soon as possible. So I thought I'm going to get fired. Oh my God, he hates the lyric, or something's wrong here. But I rushed down to the studio after work, and and he hugged me and said, "Alan did a great job on the lyric." But I don't know how to sing the lyric in the bridge, and I'd like you to come into the a recording booth with me and teach me how to sing it. So I was relieved that it was a good thing, not a bad thing, but I vowed that I was never not going to be there for a famous celebrity or a star 
um, when they needed me. And so it was after Barry that I quit my restaurant job and I quit my shoe job and I've never had to do anything else since 1982. Isn't that a great story? It is. It's. I, what I heard and what I, is that what was meant to happen for you did, but it would happen without force, without manipulation, without coercement. Well, it, it took intervention. Yeah. My, God's intervention and my own intervention. Um, because if I hadn't made that call to Howie at three o'clock in the morning, I don't know if I would have ever spoken to him again. But so I had opportunity and initiative. Hello? Yep, I hear you. No, I'm okay. I'm letting you I didn't want oh, to interrupt. I'm, I'm, oh, I think I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, you're this is what I do. Have I, I was I was singing a song from Avita. Have I said too much? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what I do. I sit back and it's it's your spotlight, it's your moment. I do want to ask this is something that isn't talked about often and I didn't see really too much in your interviews is your twin brother, Lawrence, what, is Lawrence twin brother. what does Lawrence have to say about all of this? Well, my brother is very successful in his own field. My brother uh, uh, owned a company with, with, his, uh, with a partner, um, with his partner, Seymour Levy and La Lawrence Rich. And it was called Lawrence Rich Seymour Levy. And it was a ladies hand knit company like St. John's, very fine, expensive ladies hand knits and all the celebrities wore it. Mm -hmm. And they did that for like 30 years. And then, they decided it was time to get out of the, the business. They've been in it long enough. And my brother's been a very successful real estate broker in New York City for the last 15 years. Wow. So, um, but my brother, and my brother writes songs too. Believe me, my brother's talented. Um, it's just that he, you know, he actually did take a songwriting class in New York City. Um, but I guess because people knew that he was my brother, they held him to a higher standard and it wasn't really very fair. But my brother is talented and he has good ideas. And, um, and he's my, my brother, you know, I think if he wanted to be a successful songwriter, he could have been, but my brother is a successful real estate broker and he's, he's actually has, you know, uh, is more successful than me even. Well, you know, and I, in fact, I'm going to see him for Thanksgiving at uh, their home. Uh, uh, they live in New York, but they have a, a co-op in New York. They have a, um, and I'm I'm bragging because I'm just proud. He would never brag, but I, um, but they have um, a beautiful uh, waterfront property in Fort Lauderdale, and then they have a property in the Hamptons. So he's done pretty well. Well, here's the thing: both of you have the ability to live vicariously through each other, even though your success and his success is different. It's not so much the external, Alan, as you know; it's the internal and what's brilliant and wonderful is that you have found and established your voice your identity and you're owning it you're living in it and more importantly you're thriving through it well thank you i i hope that's true you know um i also have a younger sister and nadine and she my sister fronted a rock band she was a singer in the rock band and she, and she, what guess what happened? She fell in love with the guitar player. She married the guitar player and they've been married for over 25 years. 
Mm. So you know, we have a musical family, although nobody really was in the business at all. Uh, my dad, you know, loved to sing, and my dad loved music more than life itself. I mean, every Sunday, um, he would take out, he would make us breakfast, and then he would take out the Victrola, and he would play all his favorite records. He would play Lena Horne. He play, favorite singer was Sarah Vaughan. He played Billie Holiday. He played Lionel Hampton, and he knew every single player of every single instrument on every record. And I, I saw my father's eyes light up when he would tell us the stories, and it was, you know, he played every Sunday. Um, and he was never happy when he was listening to his music. And my dad worked in a record store and he always wanted to be in the music industry, but he got married to my mom. They were both kids. My mom was 18 going on 19. Kids got married at that age. I, was, I think, let me shut my, cause someone just texted me, but I don't want that to get in the way. But, and my, my mom was 18 going on 19. My dad was 22. And, um, and they, you know, a year after they got married, they had my brother and I, and suddenly my dad had to think about how he was going to make a living, and he had to give up being in the music industry. So he's li he, as you say, talking about living vicariously. I think my dad lived vicariously through me as well. But I got my inspiration from seeing his face light up when he would play his music. Can, can I tell you an interesting story that I uh, stories that I love about please, my dad? Please, please. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and I, I'll try not to cry about it because I do love my parents so much, and I do not have either one of them on the planet. I have them in my heart, and I have them in heaven, but I do not have them alive anymore. And so, you know, when I turned about thirty years old or thirty-one years old, and I had just moved, you know, to Los Angeles. Um, my dad took me aside and he said, you know, Alan, I think you gave the music business a valiant effort, but I'm worried about how you're going to make a living for the rest of your life. And I think you better start making plans to do something else. Now, my dad was just being a caring dad, but he crushed me. I was so crushed. I could not believe my father was telling me that. Wow. But, then the, but then the next year, my big break happened with Howie Rice. And... I thought to myself, if I had listened to my dad, none of this would have ever happened. Now, here's the beautiful part. Whenever I would have a gold and platinum records, I would have duplicates made for my parents. And I would send them to them. And I took my parents, both my parents went to the Oscars twice. They went to the Grammys when I was nominated. They went to the Golden Globes with me. My brother was my first date to the Oscars and my sister was my second date to the Oscars. Oh. So... So it's a, always a family affair. But um, I would send them the gold and platinum records. And, and when I came home to their house, my dad had put the records on the wall in the hallway opposite his bedroom. And, um, and I said, Dad, why did you put the gold records there on the hallway wall? You know what my dad said? My dad said, so even when I'm sleeping, I can see them. To me, that was my dad. My dad was not, a, you know, men of that generation were not very demonstrative emotionally. But that was my dad telling me how proud he was that, he, that even when he's sleeping, he loves to see that those gold and platinum records, that it meant that much to him. And I, that's one of my favorite stories of my dad because um, he didn't say a lot, but he said something that stuck with me for the rest of my life. It was enough. Mm -hmm. It was enough. Yeah. yeah. 
Isn't that so, something? Yeah, and you know, I'm glad my parents got to see me be successful because they sure as hell got to see me struggle. How do you, you feel know? about that, Alan? I mean, I you did share that in other interviews and where you're at now. How do you feel about who you are as a person, personally and professionally, knowing where you came from to where you're at now? Does it ever feel lonely? Well, I'll tell you how, you know, on one hand, I never thought I would get this far. And on the other hand, I still feel there's so much more to go. And I, I, I wish I, you know, I would still like to have those opportunities. And, and plus, most of us are all so insecure because we've been, you know, knocked down so many times and rejected so many times that we never really, we're never really quite um, confident. You know, uh, we may feel capable, but I think we all feel insecure all the time, or a lot of the time. And I certainly do. Uh, you know, and look, I'm surrounded by people who are less successful, but a lot of people who are 10 times more successful than me. And, and so I don't always, I never feel like a big shot. I certainly don't, when, I, I don't feel like a big shot because I, I don't think I am a big shot. And I'm a behind the scenes person anyway. I'm not, you know, where I walk down the street and people want my autograph. Um, but, um, but when I look back in retrospect, to the, the when I see the film clips on the ships and I see all the things that I've done, I say, "Hey, you've done pretty good." Now, there's a big difference between doing pretty well and uh, in uh, career-wise, but also being smart business-wise. And I think that I'm, if I had to live my life over again, I would, I'd be a much better businessman than I have been. And I'm not saying I'm. Thank God, I'm. I'm fine, and I feel less that I'm fine and I don't have to worry. But boy, if I had made certain other business decisions, I might be sitting in that in Bel Air within that in that jacuzzi. Do you know what I mean? Not that I'm complaining now because I have a lovely home and I have a love I have an incredible life and I travel the world and I go on ships and I go to all the fun events. And you know, I how many people can say that they're okay that they don't have to worry for the rest of their lives? You know, that not many people can say that. This is a time right now where people are, you know, struggling with, you know, with prices being so high on things and making ends meet. It's been difficult. And I'm not saying I'm just like sitting in the, you know, lap of luxury, but I'm I'm good. And for that, I feel grateful. Um, and that being said, I hope that the universe will afford me one or two incredible opportunities ahead in my life. I would love that to happen. I'd love that to happen. Um, I'd like to do one or two really big, great things for my parents um, in honor of my parents. That's what I really would like to do. So my parents are very important people in my life. My family is very important. For Thanksgiving, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see my brother and sister. Well, you and I are definitely going to, I would love to have a conversation uh, chat with you once we're done with the live and to let you know that my heart I truly believe because there were some things when in our private conversation a couple days ago where and I told David about that where I I just knew there were some things that just just sat very well 
like a puzzle piece finally fitting. It was that, oh, that's the puzzle piece I was looking for, um, whether you knew it or not. But I remember saying it to you. I was sitting on my couch and uh-huh. there were just several things that you had said that resonated with me and, and moved me. And I felt a shift inside of me. And to share that forward for you and to you, Alan, I truly believe that you are still vibrant enough, young enough. You talked about and share about how you network and you go to a lot of events. That is there. That is really there. And I believe strategically in saying as a publicist that I believe it's getting the right film, the right opportunity, and the right people involved, and it only takes one. You have been nominated many of times what i would like to see as a publicist is you entering into every event and every opportunity dressed as though you're ready to receive and you're going to be receiving your oscar and your your emmy and everything well let me tell you you don't you know we don't know each other but you make me smile when you say that because every oscar season i use it as an excuse to buy a new wardrobe so I do come dressed and um, and I do come Gucci-fied and I do come with, um, I don't just wear jeans and sneakers, not that there's anything wrong with it. I, I'd like to make it an occasion. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's fun to express yourself. Um, and, I, and I do that. But I think that, um, I think when I was, that I really do have to put it out there even more than I have been. Cause I've been thinking about that lately, you know, um, cause when you get older, you get a little m- more weary, although not everybody does, you know, my dear friend, my very dear friend, Diane Warren, who I love to pieces. She is as hungry as the day I met her in 1970, no, 1980, 81. Um, cause I, I lived in, in, I moved to L- LA in 1980 and we became friends that first year, but that, that woman is as hungry. I don't know what that is, that fire, but she still has it as strongly as when she first started. And, um, you know, I, I certainly have fire, but I, I think that I need to, I need to put the fire out up, raise the fire a little higher. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree. And I'm going to tell you, um, the time is now. I mean, I would love to represent you. I would love to have a conversation with you because honestly, there's so much here to where it, this is, this is fact. I'm usually in bed by nine, nine 30. Cause I'm up at six 37 in the morning. I was having so much fun at David's house. I looked at the time and it was nearly quarter to 12 midnight. Never stay up that late. But David did a live performance and he was playing a piano and the mood and just, you know, you know, when the group dwindles down and there's like Uh just a couple people left over. Well, I was, you know, the energy was there, but I knew that it was time to, to go home. So I left around quarter to 12. It took me not even 15 minutes to get home, took a shower and I was so inspired and I just felt in my heart, I did not want to wait into the late morning hours to find out about you. And I did a, you know, a good, good diligent research to see what I could find in the news and videos. And I thought to myself, 
wow, <laughs> you know, even what you had shared today and even before about, you know, and I'm slightly paraphrasing, would love to to see your life advanced in other areas. And I can honestly tell you that I believe in all of your accomplishments, I guarantee you, Alan, you are exactly where you are meant to be because you're so seasoned and you're so conditioned to where if there was any resistance or if you ever found that you ever got in your way before or whatever it may have been, or even environment or certain situations to where you were striving, however you weren't thriving, it really, timing and environment really does make a difference because I'm going to be 50 in April and I'm going to tell you what I planned for myself at 10. I had to have a long conversation with God and I had to do self-counsel with myself because like you I did not I always told God I am not planning on being 62 years old and uh then finally successful like Colonel Sanders with KFC like I <laughs> thought I was going to be a mega multimillionaire have a home in on a west coast home on the east coast and a home in Europe well before I was 50 for being out of high school by the time I was 16, already in college, and I put myself through college three times, I thought, if I can be so honest, like, what the fuck? Like, look at what I put into. I didn't use my body. I didn't use sex. I didn't try to find a sugar daddy. I didn't do anything to get ahead. I worked for it because I knew that integrity and trust and building relationships, no matter how long it took, was going to mm-hmm. make a difference for my career instead of buying it or selling my soul for it. And mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, I am emotionally and mentally and physically right where you are professionally. And I can say to you, because you are a solid reflection to where I'm like, oh my God, someone of your status is where I'm at. That date, that Alan, you've, you've got it. It is, you have missed, I'm telling you from my heart, you've missed nothing and you can get everything and more. And you're at the perfect age, the perfect time and a perfect place for it because the world is so different now to where the rules no longer exist. And the people that could have held you back, David, are no longer there. I mean, Alan, I'm sorry, David. Yeah. I've got David two paws on my mind. I know. Alan. I don't, I don't blame you. Um, and, and and what I'm going to say is I appreciate that, and I'm going to claim it. How do you like I'm going to claim it. I love that. it, Alan. Um, and so, and, you know, I and I also, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I am going to come to Las Vegas because I, I want us, I want to meet you, and I want to, you know, I've never, David comes to L.A., and I've seen him in L.A., but I've never been to see him on in on you know in his turf. Yeah. And I hear he's got a lovely store and I know he does these fashion shows and these events. And so I promise I'm gonna come but if I'm gonna come within the next year and I promise you that I'm gonna give you a heads up. And there's some people and friends that I have in Las Vegas that I wanna hook you up with. Okay. Well, I have a guest room, so you're more th- and I live on the strip, so you're more than welcome to stay here. You'll you'll be comfortable. I'm, I might take you up on that. <laughs> but Alan, like, and, and, go ahead, Alan, please. No, I'm just saying, and don't worry, 
um, I'm just being silly and stupid because, you know, you won't have to sell your body for it. No, no, not that I ever would. It's just, you know why I say that is because when I go on social media, all I yeah, all I see are half naked men, and it's like I I constantly report to Instagram and stuff. Stop pushing this shit on my you know explore page. I don't want to continually to see insecure so called bodybuilders that are porn stars, you know, flexing and showing me their abs. What are they not? What are they showing me that I don't already have on my own body? <laughs> well, well, you know, listen, people got to do what they got to do to make things happen <laughs> they think, you know and and believe me there's plenty of stories of how that did work out but but you and i are fortunate enough that we for uh that we don't we didn't have to do anything like that we just like you said we worked hard we were inspired mm-hmm. we to have find our own voices and um and we're both lucky that 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 it worked out for us you had uh said Back in 2015, the industry will do a good job of beating you up. It's your job to be kind to yourself and prop yourself up. Don't put yourself down. I constantly remind myself if I if it's if I'm not for me, who, who will be? That's true, but I forget that a lot. But I will tell you, you know, and I'll tell the listeners. There's two songs. Um, I mean, I'm that I would love them to listen to. One was, I was lucky enough to, my writing partner, Judd Friedman and I wrote a song that um, it was two major artists wanted to record it. One was Aretha Franklin and one was Ray Charles. And Ray Charles got there first, but it was a lyric that I wrote by myself when I needed some help, some self care. And the song is called, So Help Me God. And initially my writing partner, Judd, said he didn't want to write the song because he felt the lyric, who said, who's going to record a song with God in the title? But meanwhile, in the middle of the night, one night he heard this melody and I guess the lyric didn't, uh, hadn't left him. And he got up and wrote this, this beautiful melody and Ray Charles ended up recording it, but it was a song I wrote every single word to try to heal myself from, you know, from the, because you know, this is a business where it, it does really play on your insecurities and you get beat down enough and you get rejected enough where you start believing that you're not good enough. So the one song is called So Help Me God by Ray Charles. The other song that I wrote with um, my friends, uh, Marsha Malamut and Dorothy C. Gaisley, um, was my Barbara Streisand song called Lessons to Be Learned. And that was a to- that was on her inspirational record, and it's a totally inspirational song. But my favorite lines of the song are in the bridge. No matter how many times you stumble and fall, the greatest lesson is loving yourself through it all. And, and when I question myself and I feel down about myself, I try to listen to that song, and I try to live by those words. They're not... You know, it should be easy, but it sometimes is very difficult. And it's been, a. I think, look, I think my my internal struggles about being worthy and not being worthy, they've helped me. They've helped me in my points of view in songs. My insecurities, I wouldn't want to change them because I think they've really aided me in my lyric writing and, and the approach that I take in my lyrics. 
and they've inspired me. So many songs have been inspired from, from, you know, um, these emotional moments. I wrote, uh, you know, um, I wrote a song with Brenda Russell and I, and Alita Adam. I, I don't think she wrote. I know. I, I think uh, Brenda and I wrote it by ourselves, but Alita Adams recorded it. And I was feeling so terrible about so many friends who had lost um, during the AIDS crisis and the AIDS epidemic that I wrote the song called We Will Meet Again. And I, I wrote it with Brenda and Alita Adams had just had someone die in her life and she she could relate to it and react to it. And she recorded it. I, you know, I haven't written very many songs um, based on my uh, based on my um, real life. But I have written a few. And, uh, you know, um, Judd and I have written a couple of songs about our families. Um, I wish I could remember. Hold on, just hold on. I'm thinking a little. Mm. Oh, we wrote a song called They're Not Always Gonna Be There mm. about our parents because he lost his dad. And we were both feeling. And so we wrote the song, Hold Them, Won't You Hold Them Just a Little Bit Longer. In, in this chorus, but so I haven't written very many songs about uh, people, but I have totally been inspired by my emotional ups and downs. Mm. I appreciate you sharing that. And and I'm and at times when you hear me pausing, I'm not only taking a moment just in case to to find out if you've got something more to say. You're also adding a lot of gems and even this most recent, what you shared, it's a lot of self-reflection. You're just sharing with me so many confirmations of that I'm in the right place at the right time and I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. And that's that's been coming up for me a lot lately. And I think I needed to hear that myself today. Yeah, you are. You know, I've been working on this lyric and, in my in my life, I've written lyrics in an unconventional way. Sometimes I just come pouring out, and other times I have to fool myself into songwriting because the fear of a blank page is really scary, <laughs> you know. And uh, and I, honestly, the last two or three nights I've been writing in my sleep. Um, literally, I've I've been I've been up enough where I've been just going through these lines. I hope that I can finish this lyric. I hope that it's as good as I'd like it to be. But I realize I've always given myself a very hard time because if I honestly, if I can write one really great line in a day, I feel like I've succeeded. I know, you know, um, if I lived in Nashville, they want to write two songs a day. Uh, that's never been me. But uh, and I've always had to fool myself. If I'm stuck, I've always I, I, I go f- food shopping or I go to a clothing store and I let my mind rest for a minute when I feel like I've been locked and I cannot move, and I, my mind is starting to beat me up, and I go, no, that's just my process. That is just my process. I need a minute to just take a minute to breathe, to let my brain, um, re, you know, get um, unstuck, and and my lyrics end up getting written, but during the process, it looks like I'm not writing. And I go, and I beat myself up and say, oh, you're, you're not in the house, you're sitting there, you're, not, you're walking around, why aren't you sitting there? And just, because that's my process. And if, and I tell, you know, on Mondays, I mentor music students at Musicians Institute. And I've done it for 10, 15 years already. And I just do it to give back to the, I love the young kids. 
But I tell them the goal, they ask me, how do I do it? I said, I can only tell you how I do it, but you need to find the way that you do it because it's going to be different than the way I do it. And that's the goal. The goal is to find your voice. The goal is to find a way to do things that works best for you, not works best for me. Because trust me, the way I write songs sometimes is not the optimum way that most people who write songs. You know, I, I love writing songs with music that inspires me, that songs that I love in a subliminal place in my head where I have them playing so low that it just inspires me because the songs move me and it opens up my heart and opens up my mind. Next thing I know, all these ideas are coming up. Well, I'm sure most people would be bothered by hearing someone someone else's song, but that, that other song, uh, you know, it knocks out the noise in my head. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the voice that's telling me you're not good enough. The voice telling me, oh, that's a crap lyric. Oh, you can't get that line. How come you're, something's wrong? You know, the music that inspires me when I sometimes play it while I'm writing, it just, it drowns out the voices in my head. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So, um, anyway, this has been fun. Do I owe you for a therapy bill? No, but you've always got me here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Songwriting, a lot of writing songs is really therapy. It is. It's, 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 and it's very therapeutic and healing. Even, even what we're doing now is therapeutic and healing. And that's why I love doing it. It, Like for yourself, you're processing, you're processing in many different ways, Alan, uh, you know, you're processing internally, externally, you know, emotionally, mentally. And I like that. Yeah. I think if I had to do it again, besides taking care of business a a bit better, I would be a little kinder to myself because I've been pretty, pretty tough on myself. Although, you know, my friends, you know, they they would say, I know you had a hard day. I know, Alan, you had a hard day. You worked for two hours. Um, and they laugh. And that's probably true. I've also, I've written maybe or you know, worked for two hours. And then I've had anxiety for the rest of the day thinking, oh, I'm going to finish that lyric. You know, but I don't care if it's only, if I work only two hours, as long as I get something that is meaningful that, hopefully will inspire people because my Judd and I are always, our main goal is always to move and touch people. That's always, and that's why if our songs move and touch you, then we, I, we know we've succeeded because that was our, that's always been our goal. You once said the music business is just that a business. You can be creative and sensitive and all those things associated with being artistic, but you must handle it like a business. How do you feel about that now? Well, I told you that I said that, but I, and I said that in retrospect because I did not handle it like a business. I would, if I had to tell my students some things that I didn't do, I would tell them, you know, every song you write, have a file folder, write down, write down the name of the song, who you wrote the song with, the percentages, make sure that you've got an agreement with the percentages for each song, um, and, um, if you have a publishing deal, make sure you know which publishing deal the songs fit in. Cause I've had four or five publishing deals and honestly, I'm not putting myself down. I, um, but I don't even remember which songs are in which deal. <laughs> and when it's called, people call me request a song. I go, I, 
I'm going to have to call somebody and try to find out, try to find out which deal it was in. While my other friends, some of my friends, they know where every song belongs. And that's part of being a business person. They, you know, they've turned, um, they've turned money into even bigger money. Um, I always had, I never had the, um, you know, I was making big money, but I never had big people surrounding me. Do you know what I mean? Who could really take that and 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 t take my deals and um, make them even bigger deals and turn that money into stupid money. Um, but I'm, as I said, I'm fine. But you know, I think that I think that this generation uh, uh, takes the music business as a business much more than a lot of us did in the past. They may, I don't know if they're as creative, but they certainly have their business handled. You did maybe a, they, what's that? Go ahead. No, I said, maybe they are creative. You know, music is so different. I mean, I'm from a generation where people wrote such gorgeous melodies and people wrote such heartfelt lyrics and people were touched. And there was, you know, radio stations, for r and the R&B singers, the Mickey Howards, the Regina Bells, the Stephanie Mills, the, the great, the great R&B singers. And, um, you know, and I miss those beautiful melodies. I mean, I was thinking about Billie Eilish this morning because I do, I, I love the sweetness in her voice and I love how pretty her and Phineas, the melodies they write. They're real, they're songs that still move and touch people, but I don't find a lot of songs when I listen to the radio. I like Louis Capaldi. I love Harry Styles, you know, but most songs don't, the melodies aren't there anymore because it's a different genre of music. I'm not saying it's not as, I mean, potent because it is, but it's a different generation of, of music than I was comfortable with and that I love so much. And I think people are missing beautiful melodies and beautiful songs. I think they're missing that. I think they're hungry for that. Getting it on radio is a whole different story, but I think, you know, I think people still love beautiful songs. That's why Barry Manilow, to me, nobody did it better than Barry Manilow. And nobody does it better than Barry Manilow. And I just so wish him so much luck on his new show, Harmony, that's opening, I think, in a week. But Barry, and people made fun of Barry all those years. He was, he was the object of so much joking. But he's one of the greatest singer-songwriters with so much heart. And, um, and he moved and touched millions and millions of people. And that's why he still has millions and millions of fans all these years later. People want to be touched. People want to be moved. People want to cry. They want to hold their partner and look at them lovingly, um, you know, while the songs are being played. It's very difficult, a difficult and different world today. But, you know, not any less maybe powerful, but not the world. I, I, I'm, I'm just missing those kind of songs. Do you believe, Alan, that when we think about Harry Styles or... I love Bruno Mars too. Bruno Mars. Love, oh, is there a way that you would that you feel that you'd be able to not only teach and elevate, but also to bring to their platforms and to their fans and absolutely. listeners the type absolutely. of style that you do? Yes, I think that what we do would elevate. Uh, you know, we'd have to learn from the younger generation, but what we bring to the party, yes, we would elevate it. 
the the hard part is actually being able to get to those people. You would you would think that with my pet you know my pedigree, if you want to say with everything that I've done, that I could. But I don't have a publishing deal at at this moment. Not that I need one, but the desire to get out there and knock down some, you know, some trees to get to the through the forest. You know, I, 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 I need to be willing to do that. And you know, I think when you're younger, you, you're maybe a little bit braver. Um, but I feel like I need to build up the courage to to start to continue doing that. Because I have all these, I have a few lyrics and a, uh, that are sitting right as I'm looking at my desk right here that I feel are such strong songs. I have one for Lizzo. And, you know, I have uh, one um, inspirational song, I mean, you know, for maybe some gospel artist. I just feel like I have things, songs that people would want to write to and want to record if I could get to those people and I just need a conduit to those people. Mm. And I, and I used to, it, it, I think there was a time when I first started out in the music industry that there was a, oh, I had publishing deals and there were vehicles to get to those people. Now it's much harder. And I come from a school where, you know, there was vinyl records with 10 or 12 songs on a record and everybody, everybody got paid the same amount of money. You know, if it sold a million copies, all all ten songs got paid for a million copies. But today, it's a singles market. Only the song that's a single make generates m m real money, and mostly the producers or the artists write them, or they have a camp of people who write them, and it's very hard to infiltrate that. So I can't. There's a part of me I realize I think I've surrendered a little, and I think it's time to get my um my mojo back. It is. That's the whole point of all this, to go back to what we were talking about before. I mean, right there with you, it it really is. What, what I say to you a while back ago in this conversation, getting out of your own way. Yeah. Yeah, but also, yes, willing to not be afraid and willing to be still get rejected. Well, you know, the older you get, the more it hurts to have to really do certain things you have to do to get to these people you know, um, ask for favors or try to, um, you, you just never know. It's just, it, but, and also if you have machinery surrounding you to get to these people, um, that helps as well, you know, but I think I'm getting ready to do that. And you'll be my friend. Now you're my friend. Now we'll have conversations about it mm -hmm. and we, you can check up on me. I'll check up on you. I like that. So, so I, I really, did, I think I've been pretty um, revealing. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't sugarcoat anything. I just told the truth, my truth, mm -hmm. and um, you know, for for better or for worse, this is who I am. You know, and I, if I changed anything, everything would change. It's true. So. So I, I, you know, I keep on saying, just love who you are. You know, here's the crazy part. People's weaknesses, the things they want to change most about them are their most powerful weapons. The, the frailties, the insecurities, the quirkiness, that's your greatest strength. And we just want to spend our lifetime getting rid of that when that's really 
what will catapult us to greatness if we just really sit in our uniqueness. I know I sound very spiritual, airy fairy, but <coughs> excuse me, my voice is getting dry. But um, but anyway, I think I've said enough. How do you feel? I feel good. I just need to get a little drink, and I feel like, <laughs> and I feel like you know, before I go out and and do a few little errands, I just want to sit with that lyric for a few minutes and see if I can just get a first uh, first rough draft of it. You're gonna it's been on my spot. Yeah, you're gonna do well. This whole what I truly believe in my heart, Alan, is this: this we help reinforce an alignment for each other and i just i truly believe in my heart once again we are of a different age we are you know come from different walks of life but i'm 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 telling you right now there is a lot of synchronicity a lot of familiarity I, in this i agree with you i agree with you i can re i so relate to you that's why i said i'm so into your accent you know, because um, it brings me back to my East Coast roots, you know. Um, but I, I, I think we all have opportunities to inspire each other. And you never know how that's, how that's going to work. You know, you never know something you're going to say is going to change the day of somebody or the minute of somebody, you know. Mm -hmm. And believe me. Uh, many things that you've said today are going to resonate when I hang up the phone with you. Um, I'm going to think about some of those things that you said to me today because they were positive and inspiring. And you just never know. Our goal is really to help make people feel better in life and to try to propel them forward to do, be, live their best lives and be the best themselves. You know? I agree. Well, we are closing out live on air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio with Mr. Alan Rich. Alan, who it's, would you like to give a shout out to? Oh, let's see. I have four or five best friends. First, of all, I'll give a shout out to my brother, Lawrence, my sister, Nadine, my niece, Brittany, and her new baby, Sophie, and, her and my sister's husband, Z, and my niece's husband, Kyle. Um, but... I have four or five best friends. Um, without them, I'd be lost. I have my friend Jaman, my friend David, my friend Richard, my friend Kenny, and my friend Don. Those are my besties. And my best my bestie female is Lindy. And um, and that's who I want to sh shout out to. And I thank I thank them for their friendship. And I thank you for this lovely interview. Um, and I thank you all who might be listening for listening. I appreciate that. And David, any closing thoughts or anything before we move on with our day? You talking to me? Yeah, I Is mean, uh, Alan. Uh, here we go with David. Uh, David, two paws, get out of my head. <laughs> oh God, Alan. Well, any any listen, closing thoughts? I don't. I don't mind being called David. He's a very <laughs> talented, creative guy. So, um, oh. any any less any final comments? Make someone stay brighter today. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. Okay. It's great talking to you. I know we will meet each other soon. I love it. Thank you so much, Alan. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.
Thank you to everyone who's joined us today live on air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. Uh, yeah, David Tupaz, uh, you're with us in spirit, and it's it's been loud and clear. Uh, to everyone who's tuned in, thank you for joining us today. Uh, this live will re-air throughout the month. Definitely check the schedule on the Power 98.5 iOS or Android app, as well as Power985.com. It's also going to be available today on your favorite podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Remember, get the latest and greatest and all the best on Power985.com. Alan Rich, such a great, great man, uh, mentor, confidant, friend, um, so much and more. We're going to have Alan on again. Looking forward to seeing him. Uh, we are going to get a photo together. Can't wait to share that on all of the socials. We love you guys so much and uh, have a great, safe, sane, happy, confident year end closing of 2023 and a 24 and a fabulous holiday season. Take care, everyone. Socials and let's connect.